0: open up to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, and this morning we're going to finish the chapter, Lord willing, 11 through 36. In which we read in verse 11, Paul says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, of course, you'd have to kind of know the context here in the book of Romans. We uh, realize that God is speaking in Romans 9, 10, and 11 about the plan of salvation. He's speaking a lot about the Jews. And he's speaking about man's responsibility, about God's sovereignty. And as we go through our study today, we're going to see in verses 11 through 32, the theology or the plan. And then in verse 33 through 36, the doxology or The praise. Now, again, there in verse 11, Paul says, I say then, have they stumbled? Now, the they that is in reference in verse 11 is regarding Israel. It's regarding the Jews. And, you know, it's kind of cool, you guys, in reading the Bible, the Lord allows us to see things that really the world doesn't realize. I think it was John Corson who said, if you want to know what time it is on God's calendar, look at Israel. The things that are going on in Israel. It's kind of like Israel is his, you know, big hand and Jerusalem is his second hand. You know, we know that Jesus Christ is coming soon. And how do we know that? Well, we know that for a number of reasons, but the primary reason, the most principal sign of all, especially for us as Christians who have Romans 9, 10, and 11, who have the scriptures, Matthew 24, all these different scriptures, we know it's the end of the world because of what's going on in the nation of Israel. And so we look at Israel and they are a sign for us. They're God's clock for us. You know, just as we're always wondering, what time is it? We whip out our our phone, we look at our watch, we look at the clocks, whatever it might be. If you want to know what time it is on God's calendar, then you look at Israel. And in May 1948, May 14th, 1948, they became a nation again. In 1967, they regained Jerusalem again. These are things that have just taken place. And what did Jesus say? The generation that sees this happen, the fig tree, bloom again. That's the generation, the Lord says, in which I will come. And we have to have a deep conviction in our hearts. If you want to be a healthy Christian, you have to have that deep conviction in your heart. And every generation that's been healthy has a deep conviction in our heart that Jesus Christ is coming in our days. And so we need to be ready. You know, and so in looking at Israel, Paul here begins to talk about Israel. And he says, hey, there in verse 11. And so what's the question? I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Now that they refers to Israel, the stumbling refers to the fact that generally speaking, the Jews have rejected Jesus Christ. And so the question is, is that it for Israel. I mean, is it over for them? Is it a done deal? Are they forever dead? And Paul answers his own question there in verse 11. He says, certainly not. Emphatically, no, not a chance. One of the things you'll see is that even though today, generally speaking, Israel has rejected Jesus as their Messiah, one day they will receive him as their Savior. You know, it's not permanent, Paul says there in verse 11. And as a matter of fact, and this is one of the things we see in the book of Romans, it's all part of God's plan. And just as a quick side note right here, I just want to share that with you guys, that this is woven into the book of Romans. It's woven into Romans nine, ten, and 11, that all these things that we don't understand, believe it or not, even the things that we perceive to be as evil are all part of God's plan, his sovereign plan of working everything out for his glory. You know, we see it with nations, we see it in salvation, and we've got to see it into individual lives as well. You know, take your own life, for example. The things that you go through and the tough times that you've been through. You know, you've got to know, man, that those things, even those tough things, even those crazy things, even those things that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy, even those things are all part of God's beautiful beautiful, amazing plan for your life. And that's what we see with Israel. That's what we see with the Gentiles. That's what we see in your life. Yesterday, I had the privilege of being able to go and share at a men's breakfast in Calvary Chapel, La Mirada. And the pastor there, really cool guy, his name is Brian. He was telling me that when he was just a young guy, he had a heart condition. He was only 18 years old. Think about that. 18 years old and he was diagnosed with this serious heart condition that brought him to the point of thinking that at such a young age he was going to die and so you know you look at that situation and you're thinking man how awful could it be for an 18 year old young man to be diagnosed with such a severe and serious heart condition but he said that that's what brought him to jesus and if that's what it takes, whatever it takes to bring us to Jesus, then you've got to see how the Lord takes those things. And he turns it around and he uses it for good. He uses it for your, you know, good. He uses it for his glory. And, and that's what we see right here. You know, they, Israel, have stumbled. Generally speaking, they have not accepted Jesus. But we've got to see that it's not permanent and it's all part of God's plan. As a matter of fact, notice what he says there again in verse 11. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Every once in a while, God will give us a little bit of, you know, what happens, you know, in this plan. He doesn't always tell us things, but sometimes he does. In this case, he does. He tells us this. Israel rejected Christ. And as a result of that. What's going to happen is that the Gentiles will provoke Jerusalem to jealousy. The Gentiles would be saved. Now, jealousy can be kind of an ugly thing, huh? I don't know if you guys have ever been in that situation, you know, I'm not really that jealous as a as a guy. I probably should be, man. But you know what? I, I mean, you know, everybody has that little uh, tendency every once in a while to get jealous. But I remember one time I was just a kid and I remember going to the mall and I saw my girlfriend with another guy walking hand in hand down the corridors of the mall. And I was just so mad. I was so angry. I was so jealous. And so when I did, it was kind of funny. I was there with my mom. We went together. I just, you know, guys are different. Some of you guys right here would have have gone up and gotten a fight, huh? I I know some of you guys here. I mean, some may have gone up and confronted the situation. I was just so upset, so hurt, so grieved. I just went out and I walked home. I didn't even wait for my mom. I said, Mom, I'm out of here. I can't handle this. I was so upset with what happened. And, you know, and then I talked to her later and I said, you know, you're lost. You're You know, I'm just joking. I didn't say that. (laughs) She told me it was her cousin. Yeah, right, you know. (laughs) The bottom line is, for the sake of the illustration here, this is what happened. He had what was mine. He had my girlfriend. He had my love. Even though it was puppy love, I was just a kid. Nonetheless, it hurt. The jealousy, you know, kind of moves you sometimes to make certain decisions. And in the age which we live in right now, we the Gentiles... Have what at one time belonged to to Israel. That beautiful relationship with God we have based on the Bible rooted in the Abrahamic covenant by faith. And so God says one day the Jews will see what you have and and they'll want it. See, we're supposed to provoke them to jealousy. But this section of scripture teaches us that along with that human responsibility, there's always that divine sovereignty. It's all part of God's plan. It's all part of God's purpose. As a matter of fact, if you look next at verse 12, it says, now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy, there it is again, those who are my flesh, and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Now, I know this is a tough section of Romans. And if you're here for the first time, you're thinking like, what is this guy talking about, man? Well, God is telling us about Israel. And God is telling us that, you know, they didn't accept Jesus, but one day they will accept Jesus as their Messiah. What God is trying to teach us is that even in all these things, these things that we don't understand in life, there is a beautiful plan that God has I mean, he wants to save the Gentiles. He wants to provoke the Jews to jealousy so that they would get saved as well. And not only that, the Lord says this in the whole beautiful plan of God. If their fall benefited you, imagine how much their fullness will benefit you as well. You know, and looking at this right here, I'm just so blown away how we see man's responsibility and God's sovereignty so closely knit, so tightly knit together. You know, one of the things that we have to admit right here right now is that we are all free, huh? I mean, you are not a puppet. You are not a robot. You can do whatever you want. If you want to go and, you know, whip out some hot Cheetos right now, you can. I mean, Richard told you to turn off your cell phone. You could turn it on if you wanted to. I mean, there are, we are free moral agents to do whatever we want. Our freedom is not violated in any way. That's the way God made us. It's an, it's an amazing thing. But at the same time, while we are free moral agents, God is on the throne. God is completely on the throne, working out an amazing plan. And we have to see it here, even as we study the book of Romans. You know, the Jews chose not Jesus, but that was all part of God's plan. How does it work? You know what? Maybe one day I'll understand. But all I know is that for now, the Jews didn't choose Jesus, generally speaking. It's all part of God's plan. But one day they will. It's all part of God's plan. The Gentiles, generally speaking, did. It's all part of God's plan. And it's an amazing truth. You know, he teaches us right here that if we Gentiles have benefited from the fall of the Jews, so to speak, how much more will we benefit from their fullness? And what that means is that one day during the tribulation period, halfway through, when the Jews do accept Jesus as their savior, we read that there will especially be 144,000 Jews that will become uh, evangelist to the world. And this world will hear the gospel like it never has. That when the Jews accept Jesus, what that does is then trigger the end of the world now, ushers in the millennial kingdom where the king, Jesus, the descendant of David, will sit on his throne and rule this world with peace forever and ever. You see, that's why when the fullness of the Jews comes in, we will benefit in such a tremendous way. When they get saved, look what he calls it there in verse 15. He calls it life from the dead. It's so cool, you guys. The day that the Jews receive Jesus, the whole world will be blessed. And this is all part of God's plan. Paul the Apostle is teaching us God's plan at the same time he's attempting to provoke the Jews. You know, and as we move through this chapter, Paul is teaching us as Gentiles, you know, one thing that we learn here today is, you know what, never look down on the Jews. I hope and I pray there is no one here who has anti-Semitism in their hearts. You know, Paul is teaching us as Gentiles never to look down on them. Because anti-Semitism is absolutely unbiblical. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever ch- studied church history, but it's so crazy how in the past ages of the church, many Christians have attempted in their you know view of the scriptures to justify their persecution of the Jews. And God says, no, it should never be we're going to look at this next. Look what it says in verse 16. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. You know, we think we're big and bad because we're the church or the Gentiles. We received Jesus Christ. The Jews didn't. So there was a time in history when they looked down on the Jews and God is saying, no, don't do that. Because if the first fruit is holy, then what, the whole lump is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. You see, the first fruit here, the root here, is the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's 12 sons, you know, the nation of Israel. They're that first fruit. They're that root. And if they're holy, if they are holy, then their descendants are holy. The entire lump is holy. The tree is holy the branches are holy the jews are holy now i'm not saying you show favoritism towards them but here's what you have to acknowledge that they have been set apart for god's purposes and god's plans and whatever you do man don't look down on them that's why so many christians love israel That's why so many Christians, and I see it especially in the hearts of pastors, they love the Jews. They love Israel. They understand Genesis chapter 12, where the Bible says, I will bless him who blesses you, and I will curse him who curses you. As Christians, we should have a special place in our heart for Jerusalem. We should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's why so many Christians take pilgrimages to Jerusalem, to Israel, you know, and Not that you have to or anything. It's not like, you know, uh, uh, something that's a ceremony that's necessary in order for you to be saved. But a lot of Christians have gone to Israel. Any of you here ever been to Israel just out of curiosity? Some of you have, huh? My wife tells me all the time, yeah, I've been there, yeah. She kind of rubs it in. She wears her T-shirt. I've been baptized in the Jordan, you know. Thanks, (laughs) Shelly. I don't know if I'll ever be there on this side of time, but one day I will. I love Israel. We should love Israel. They are holy. If Abraham was holy and Isaac was holy and Jacob was holy and his 12 sons were holy, the descendants are holy. Can't look down on them. We see here in verse 17, Paul continues and he says, And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, hey, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Paul goes on and he uses the uh, illustration of the olive tree. And you know, one of the fascinating things about the olive tree is that it's a tree that can live for thousands of years, believe it or not. There's some in Israel today that are close to 2,000 years. Not quite because when the Romans came in, they wiped out all the vegetation, but they immediately planted new olive trees. They are still there today. Olive trees are amazing. But as they continue to carry on in time, they might reach a point where they are not as fruitful. And so literally what the gardener can do is he can break off some branches and he can graft in some new branches, literally drilling holes in the trunk, placing the new branches in. And that olive tree literally becomes fruitful again. It's an amazing thing what you can do with an olive tree. And just as the gardener can do that, God has done that. We see that illustration right here. That's exactly what the Lord did. We see again, notice it says in verse 17 that some of the branches were broken off. That is some of the Jews. And so the Gentiles were grafted in to be a partaker of the fatness or literally, if you look up that word in the Greek, the riches, the richness of God. You know, it's like this Bible we have right here. You guys know, right? This scripture that we're reading right now, who wrote this book? The Jews. The Jews wrote this book, generally speaking. We've got Luke who wrote a couple of books, but man, predominantly it's a Jewish book. And the patriarchs and the examples and the history, the rich history of How to be a godly man or how to be a godly woman. All the poems, all these expressions. It's all Jewish. Our Messiah is Jewish. And we've been grafted into this olive tree. And it's such a blessing, man. We get to partake of the riches of this, man, this amazing relationship that we can have with God. And so that's all he's saying. And it's such a blessing. And I pray that you guys would be blessed by that. But here's where we need to be so careful. It's not a reason to boast. He says in verse 18, if you do boast, remember, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they were all Jewish. The Bible was Jewish. Our Savior is Jewish. So be very careful. But we say, hey, they blew it, man. You know, they missed their chance. They're broken off. I've been grafted in, you know. (laughs) That's true. It's a good point. As a matter of fact, Paul says that brings something else up. If you don't continue to believe, then the same thing might happen to you. They were broken off because of unbelief. And so if you want to start talking about that, okay, let's talk about that. What about you? You need to keep believing man. You need to continue to believe until the day that you die. Notice again there in verse 20, well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand, how? By faith. Do not be haughty, but notice he says, fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches... He may not spare you either. Man, it's crazy the things that have gone on throughout church history. It's crazy the things that go on in the church. You know what? If you started well, praise God. But that doesn't mean that it's over, you guys. You know, we go out to the beach and we go swimming and we go in the water. and We're having a great time. But if you're not careful, the tide can take you away and you don't even realize it. See, there needs to be a fire in our hearts, you guys. We can't slow down in our relationship with the Lord. We need to have that fear. We need to make sure that we are not prideful. We need to make sure that we don't slow down, but that we continue to grow in our relationship with the Lord. As a matter of fact, I think it's such a good balance in verse 22. He says, therefore, here is the application up to this point. There's that therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell, severity, but toward you, goodness, notice if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. You know, it's so cool to be able to study the Bible together and to be able to discover these truths about God, about Christianity, about life, about Israel, about the Gentiles. These are all things that God wants us to know. That's why he wrote it down. And I think right here in verse 22 is probably one of the most important concepts, you guys, for us as Christians. Notice what he says again. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. That's very important. It's so important for us to have the complete consideration when we're thinking of our Creator. Because in order for us to walk upright, we must have a biblical balance. You know, let me ask you a question this morning. Is God good? Yes, you can sing it all the time. He's good, huh? God is good. He is good, huh? Let me ask you another question. Is God severe? He's severe, huh? He's severe as well. You see, and we need to make sure that we don't lean too much in that direction or too much in that direction or forget this and forget that. You know, I think that as a Christian, what makes us healthy is having that beautiful revelation, understanding who God is, not making a God in my own mind or not letting Oprah Winfrey make God for me. What does the Bible say? God is good, but God is also severe. Let me ask you another question. Does God love you? Are you sure he loves you? You? Okay. Even though you did what you did this morning? (laughs) He will always love you. There is nothing you can do to make him stop loving you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more or love you less. He loves you. Will God spank you? Now, when God spanks, does it hurt? Just as a side note here. God will spank you. He will spank you. Swiftly. See, you consider the goodness of God, you consider the severity of God. Unhealthy Christians, they lean too far in either direction. Oh, God's good. I can just do whatever I want. I'll talk smack. God's going to get you because He loves you. See, God is good. God is severe. Some people are on the other side of the spectrum. They don't really understand the love and the goodness of God. And that's why you have to have a balance. Let me ask you another question. Do you believe in heaven? Yeah, everybody believes in heaven, right? Do you believe in hell? Are you sure? You know, 54% of Americans don't believe in hell. They like the goodness of God, but they don't believe in the severity of God. And that's why looking at this right here, I think it's so important for us to understand. We must have a biblical view of God. I mean, here we have a wise and wonderful warning, knowing that he is a God of absolute grace and at the same time, a God of absolute holiness. And if you can have both of these in your heart, you will be a healthy Christian. You know, as I go through my life, I got to be honest with you guys, you know, I'm just so grateful to God for the grace that he's given to me. You know, I've never really had a time in my life where I've doubted my salvation. I've never really had a time in my life, even though I've blown it many times, where I was believing any lie of the devil that said God doesn't love me. You know, I've just been so grateful to God that no matter how I've blown it or what I've done or whatever's happened to me in life, you know, and I can complain. How come I didn't have a better childhood? And how come, you know, this? And how come that person died? And I can do all that stuff. But you know what? Just by God's grace, I've just never question the fact that he loves me. And I know for some of you here, that's a struggle and my heart goes out to you because you got to know no matter what you've gone through or no matter what you're going through that God loves you. But at the same time, I thank God that he's giving me the grace to understand that he is so holy and I fear him. You know, I was telling the guys at the uh, breakfast yesterday, you know, we were going through different things. And one of the points was we have to fear God. And I was telling them how, you know, that's why I can't look at a woman. That's why I can't lust in my heart. That's why I can't let my eyes wander. Because number one, I fear Shelly, she'll kill me. And number two, (laughs) I fear God, that God will get me. And you know, it's the love of God that motivates us from a spiritual perspective, and it's the fear of God that motivates us, because we still have a fallen nature that we have to deal with. But see, we need to have a biblical view of God. Be careful, man, that you don't believe the God that's out there in the melting pot of America. How do you know who God is? Because he's revealed himself in Scripture. As a matter of fact, there's a really neat verse. If you go back to the book of Exodus chapter 34, it's kind of cool. I love this verse right here because there was a time when Moses was you know, there and he had a relationship with God. And it was a beautiful relationship that he had with God, but there was more that he wanted. He said, Lord, I want to see you. I want more of you in my life. Lord, I really just want to see you. How can you say you love me if you haven't really shown yourself to me? Moses really wanted more of God and And maybe you're here today, and I pray that's always your prayer. Lord, I want to see you. I want to know you. I really want to discover you. And Moses had that prayer. And so the Lord said, okay, this is what I'll do. You can't see me in my fullness, but I'll tuck you in the cleft of the rock, and I'll show you my afterglow. You'll see me. And this is what happens here in Moses. I mean, I'm sorry, in Exodus chapter 34, in verse 6, it says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. When the Lord revealed himself to Moses, it was just so good. Oh, you're so long-suffering. Oh, Lord, you're so forgiving. Oh, Lord, you're so wonderful, right? But then notice what he says right there in verse 7, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So Moses made haste, bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. So you'll notice When God revealed himself to Moses, he said, I'm very, very gracious, but I'm also very, very holy. And healthy Christians, holy Christians, have that whole revelation of God. You know, it's kind of interesting. There's only two times in the Bible where a word is repeated three times. You know, and in the Bible, whenever you repeat a word, it's there for emphasis. In the book of Isaiah, chapter six, the angels say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. In other words, the Lord is holy. In the book of Revelation, chapter eight, the angels say, woe, woe, woe. To the inhabitants of the earth. Because God will judge. And when we look at the scriptures, we need to have an understanding of how it all works. You guys, back to the book of Romans, we see that it works both ways. In Romans chapter 11, notice what it says next in verse 23. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, speaking of the Jews again, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? And you know, the principle of God is very plain. We see it right here. If you don't believe, you can be cut out. Yeah, but I was a Christian, man. Yeah, but I did all these things. If you come to a point in your life, and this is all I can tell you, according to the Bible, that if you stop believing, then you can be cut out. We see the same thing in John 15, 1 through 6. But if you start believing again, then you can be grafted in. Isn't God good? God is just. God will take you back. There may be some of you here today who you know you've drifted away from the Lord. You, you know, are here today and and maybe you've been going through the motions, maybe not. Maybe you haven't been to church in 27 years. I don't know where you guys are at. But the Lord knows where you're at, and you drifted away from the Lord. Maybe when you were a kid, you went to vacation Bible school. Maybe when you were just a little guy, man, that someone took you to church and you accepted Jesus somewhere on the road. I don't know, maybe you even saw something on television or the radio, but you drifted away. And so you're here today, and you're wondering, will God take me back? Oh, yeah. He'll take you back. Just like He's going to take Israel back. He'll take you back. You know, on Thursday, I read with the congregation, I don't know if you guys heard the story about the dog Muffy in Australia. It's kind of a funny story. This dog in Australia drifted away, ran away, was lost for 63 dog years. That's nine human years. I know some of you here love your dog, right? Who here loves their dog? I know a lot of you do, right? Right. Imagine how heartbreaking, how heart-wrenching it would be if you lost your dog for nine years. But then imagine one day, and this is what happened in Australia, they found Muffy again. (laughs) She was thousands of miles away, but she was reconciled with her owner. And you may be here today, and you know, you've done a lot of crazy things. You know, and you've muffed it up. You've messed up. You are Muffy the dog or whatever it might be. You know, you just feel like you're thousands of miles away. But God has found you today. And he says, hey, I want to make it right again. See, God will do that. If you don't believe, you can be cut out, cast out. But if you do believe, you can be grafted back in especially for the Jews who are represented here as the natural olive tree. And you know, the thing about Israel, it's not just a possibility. It's not just a probability. It is a certainty that it will happen again. We read that next in verse 25. He says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, you'd have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. Even so, these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. This is kind of a tough section, maybe for some of you here. Uh, I know some of you here are tracking with me. But what God is just basically saying is this, and I want you to know this. He says right there in verse 25, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. I want you to know this, that Israel will return to the Lord that one day when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, when that last non-Jew gets saved prior to the rapture, then boom, everything shifts. Boom, at that moment, everything shifts. And then God begins to deal with the Jews. And it's kind of a cool thing. When you look at history, you know, it seems kind of fair. God gave the Jews 2,000 years. God gave the Gentiles 2,000 years. See, the math all adds up. From Abraham to Jesus, it was 2,000 years. From Jesus to now, it's been 2,000 years. God is just. God is fair. And so when one day that Gentile gets saved, and who knows, it might be you. When you get saved, if there's anybody here today who hasn't really yielded their life to Jesus Christ, then you still have your sins. Your sins are not forgiven. Like we sang earlier, you need the blood of Jesus on your life. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, who knows, maybe you're the one. We're all just waiting for you to get saved, man. So please, get saved today. Because once you get saved, once that last Gentile gets saved, then, you know, God will start working in this direction. We can get raptured. Heaven will come in. Don't drag your feet anymore. But that's what we see right here. When the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, when that last Gentile is saved, then God is going to begin to deal with the Jews again. And here Paul gives his scriptural support from Isaiah 59 and Isaiah 27. You know, and, and in the sense that at the time of writing this letter, we see there in verse 28, notice it says that they are your enemies. They are enemies for your sake. And he only says that because when Paul was writing the letter, Um, that Jews were persecuting him, that Jews were resisting Christianity. But he also says there in verse 28, when you look at the big picture, they're not enemies, they are the beloved for the sake of the fathers. They are still the beloved because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God says there in verse 29 that his gifts and his calling in that general sense are irrevocable. See, God's promises are true. And that's good news. You know, again, we started the whole section, Romans 9, 10, and 11, looking at chapter 9 and saying, you know what? God made a lot of promises to Israel. You know, if you're here today, and I don't know if you've ever read the Old Testament, but if you read the Old Testament, you read the book of Isaiah, you read the book of Jeremiah, you read the book of Ezekiel, you read the Old Testament, you read the book of Deuteronomy, you see that there are so many wonderful promises that God has given to Israel. And so if you were to read the Old Testament, you might wonder, well, what happened to all those promises that God gave to Israel? And some people might even accuse him of being a God who doesn't keep his promises. But God says, no, I will keep my promise. I'm a God of my word. I I cannot lie. And I promised them this. That one day this Jew, he will eat under his fig tree. One day the lion will lie down with the lamb. One day the little kid, he will pick up the snake and he won't be bitten. One day there will be peace on earth. One day King Jesus will rule from Jerusalem. See, all those promises are true just in case you ever doubted them, you're thinking, well, what happened to Israel? What about the Gentiles and all these things? God says, no, this is the way it's going to work out. The Jews, unfortunately, they're going to reject me for a season. The Gentiles are going to take advantage of that. They're going to get saved. But in the last days, the Jews are going to get saved. And all my promises will come to pass. And you want to know something? That's good news. Because God's made promises to you as well. God says, listen, if you're willing to take up your cross and deny yourself, if you're willing to surrender all your rights and follow me, I'll take you to heaven. And one day we'll be home. You know, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, it says, Blessed is the man whose strength is the Lord. Whose heart is set on pilgrimage? We're just pilgrims. We're not home yet. You know, my heart goes out to you guys um, because I know how it is. Because I know a lot of you here are going through hard times. And there's just so many different things that we go through in life. You know, we try to make it as perfect as we can, we really do. We try to set the air conditioner at just the right temperature, huh? You know, we get in our car, we turn the air on again if we have air. We put a pillow underneath our head, and we try to make everything just as good as we can, just a little bit of mustard, not too much mayo and, you know, tomatoes and lettuce, light on the cheese. I mean, you name it. I don't know how it all works. We, we try to do everything just right, and we find ourselves in different situations. Maybe you find yourself even among your family or a crowd or friends, And there's just still something inside of you that just doesn't feel right. Sometimes, even in the midst of people you love, you feel out of place. And I wonder, Lord, why? Well, because we're not home yet. We're not really home yet. And we can do our best to try to make everything hunky-dory. We can do our best to try to say, you know what, I'm doing great. But nobody is. We do the best that we can, but we're not home yet. God promises, I'll take you home. I'll take you home one day. And He will keep that promise. He keeps all His promises. And it's such an awesome thing. And that's what this establishes right here. You know, the book of Romans, chapter 1 through chapter 11, is all about salvation, you guys. How God has saved us from our sins. And God has given us heaven. God has given us Him. And in looking at all these things, we see the Lord teaches us a place to trust. Verse 32 can be, An interesting verse, it says, For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. And what that means is, though God is not the author of sin, God has allowed man to sin, so that one day he could receive his glory by demonstrating his grace and mercy, even to disobedient sinners like us. And so what ends up happening? Well, after all the theology, We come to the doxology after all the plans. We now come to the praise and look what happens in verse 33. Paul just says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Paul right here in Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11. And for those of you who have been here for the last 37 years that we've been studying this part right here, man. You know, it's been so cool just to see the theology, the salvation, the doctrine. It was kind of technical. Sometimes it was kind of tough. But when it all comes down to it, Paul just says, praise the Lord. He saved us. It's so amazing what God has done. God loves me. God sent Jesus to die for me. And if I just place my faith in Jesus... I'll be saved as well. And in the midst of all the difficulties that go on in life and things that we don't understand, things that we hate, things that, man, just make us cry, it's all part of God's plan. And if that's the case, praise God that He can do that. It's amazing. It's so amazing that God can do that through all the things that we go through in life. That it's all part of His perfect plan. And it just brings us to worship Him. And that's what Paul did. Wow. Wow. God's wisdom, God's ways, God's knowledge, God's judgments. God's mind, it's mind-boggling. You know what, you guys? We won't figure Him out. You know, if you try to figure out what's going on, your brain will, you know, freak out. You'll fizzle out, man. You'll blow a fuse. I know some of you here are trying to figure it out. Don't. Just trust Him. Just trust Him. Because it's past finding out. You don't want the peace that comes from understanding. You want the peace that passes understanding. We can't know everything. Huh? We can't know why. We can't know what. We can't know when. We can't counsel him. God, I think you should do this. Oh, yeah? I would like to tell God what to do, but I have a feeling that He knows what's best. As a matter of fact, when it talks about His knowledge right here, that means He knows not only everything that's happened or will happen, He knows all the possibilities. It's amazing. We can't counsel Him. We can't tell Him when or what to do. Let God be God. We can't know everything. We can't counsel Him. And we can't even say here today that God owes us. There in verse 40, 35, who is first given to him and it shall be paid to him. Who here busted the move first? Who here said, yeah, I want God before he said, I want you. Nobody here. It all started with God. It's all about God. As a matter of fact, that's what we read there in verse 36. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory, forever, Amen. You see, it's all about Him, Him, Him. That's why we sing hymns. It's all about Him. A lot of times, I think it's it's about us. You know, I know I've got my iPhone and my iPod, I've got my iMac with my iWorks and my iLife and all the i stuff that you can imagine. But in the end, God says, listen, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about him. And I pray that we would live our life in light of that, you guys, and trust him. Trust him no matter what you're going through. Yield your life to him. You want to know something? If you don't yield your life to him, then you've got it. You got your life in your own hands. And I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how good you are. Your hands will fail. Put your life in God's hands today. I pray we would do that. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for your word. Lord, that teaches us about you, that teaches us what you've done, that makes us praise you because, Lord, you're on the throne. And Lord, I want to pray to you today. I want to pray to you right now. And ask that you would encourage your church. And I ask that you would even speak to anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord. Father, I pray if there's anyone here who is not a Christian, or maybe they don't even know whether or not they're a Christian, they don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if they were to die today, that they'd go to heaven. Lord, if there is anyone here in that place, I pray you would speak to them and you would tell them how much you love them. That you would tell them that Jesus died for them. He did all the hard work, all the work on the cross. And that if they would be willing to turn from their sins and trust Jesus today as their Lord and Savior, then they will be forgiven. And they will be free. And just with every eye closed and every hand bowed, if you're here today and you want to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, and right where you're at, would you please raise your hand so we can pray for you? Don't be afraid. Thank you, Lord, so much. Thank you, Jesus, for the hands that have gone up. It's the most wonderful decision you could ever make to follow Jesus. He loves you. Don't be afraid. Anyone else, right where you're at, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Anyone else? We don't want to leave here today without giving you that opportunity. Anyone else? Lord, I thank you for those that raised their hands today, Lord. And I know you see, and it means so much. It means everything. And so, Lord, I pray uh, that as they reach out, as they reach up to you, that you would meet them there, Lord. And that today would be a day of salvation. And I thank you for everyone here, Lord, today. May you just continue, Lord, to work in us and draw us closer to you. Make us more like you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.